Welcome. I'm very excited to be here today with Jessica Beck, the co-founder of Alfred. We're very excited to have her on the podcast, part of the 3i Rosen Report Founder Series. We're going to learn a lot about Alfred and Jessica. So welcome, Jessica. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Eric. It's a pleasure. Great. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up. So I am a native New Yorker. I grew up in Brooklyn, which is very important as a native New Yorker for me to That's share. Right. I lived in New York my entire life. And then for school, I went off to a small college called Williams. Beautiful. It's a beautiful campus. Beautiful campus. I did a lot of hiking. As a New Yorker, I learned to drive, which is a fun fact that I feel very <laughs> proud of. Very rare. <laughs> very rare. And I studied economics and I also learned to play rugby, which I did at a division one level while I was in school and then after school. That's impressive. You get hurt? I, I was lucky. I didn't get hurt, but I think it's very good training for starting a company. Very full body activity. <laughs> I think starting a company is also a very full body activity. Yes. Team sport. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's great. So how did you find your time at Harvard and how did you meet your now business partner? Harvard was great. I think school and particularly grad school is a lot of what you make it. And Marcella and I were seatmates. So we didn't know each other ahead of time. And we happened to sit about a seat apart. We, on face value, the first time we met, we didn't know if we would be friends. But <laughs> over the course of a couple of months, we became very good friends. And then we used our time at Harvard basically like an incubator. We used it to meet amazing people, come up with ideas. We met capital providers. It was a really, really generative time. I think we really made the most of it. It was great. That's great. So you were at Harvard and talk about your time at McKinsey. I guess that was after Williams, but before Harvard. Is that right? That's right. So after Williams, I graduated basically into the financial crisis and I was fortunate enough to go to McKinsey. I stayed there for four years and I ended up doing two years in housing. I actually worked in their mortgage teams, which made sense in the middle of the financial crisis. I did a year helping launch a JV tech concept in social media. And then I did my last year working in their global health um, division. And the thing I always think is interesting when I think about my time at McKinsey, which is, by the way, a great place. Fantastic firm. Amazing people, fantastic firm, best training I've ever received. But when I think about it, I ended up doing housing tech and trying to like make the world a little bit better, which I think is ultimately what Alfred also came. So I think I've been working on this project for longer than I realized. Yeah. I mean, that's great. So can you talk about Alfred and put it in perspective exactly what it does, explain to, to the viewers what it does and how exactly you came up with the concept? Absolutely. So Alfred today, we're the largest tech first management platform for residential in North America. And what that means is we manage apartment buildings using a proprietary technology platform and also provide a consumer-oriented experience in our properties. So we try to bring hospitality plus technology into the rental market and residential real estate. And our goal is to create a great experience for renters, help owners drive their bottom line, and deliver a great operating business ourselves. That's what we do today. But as with most stories, that is not how we started. That is not where we began. The company's nine years old. And we originally founded the company as a consumer tech platform. And our original concept was everyone in the world needs help. 
And I knew that from my own background, growing up, I have a younger brother. His name's David. He's also amazing. And he was born with Down syndrome. And when I was growing up, I grew up in the special needs community in New York. And I really saw how help was sort of built into infrastructure because you had to make systems and create schools and communities for people that may not have known how to access those as easily as you and I. So that seemed pretty normal to me. And when starting Alfred, I think a lot of that thinking and that concept sort of underpinned the original idea, which was how do we build help into infrastructure? How can we create a system to provide services and do it in a predictive and easy to access way for the you know, rest of people's lives? So that's where we started. What was interesting was the first set of customers we actually had weren't the consumers, so not the people that lived in, in homes, but it was landlords. And they wanted to buy our technology and our experiences and services to provide to their renters to try to increase renewal rates and offer it as an amenity. That's how we actually ended up in real estate. And I think that's also probably when we had our first aha moment. We sort of looked at the real estate market, the residential real estate market, and we said, this is the largest consumer product in the world, but it doesn't function like one. It doesn't have a brand. And when we look at the NPS, the NPS is negative 11 the churn rate is 50% a year. If you think about just those two metrics, it's a huge opportunity. That's how we got into real estate. And we took our consumer tech oriented approach. And we said, let's build an operating system to power rental properties. We know that if we do this, we'll solve some of the consumer problems. But we also think if we can do that, that will help the owners and the operators of these properties not leave as much money on the table. Churn rate should go down. People should stay longer. And when you use technology, you can probably operate a building more efficiently. The consumer, the apartment renter is paying, and from a management perspective, the owner of the building is paying, or is it just the consumer? In today's model, it's actually just the owner. We provide the management services and the technology to the owner, and it becomes part of the rental experience. In the earlier days, it was a bit more of a mix. Okay. So I love the story that you told me a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about how you and your partner, you know, you're getting ready to go on vacation. I don't remember it's Iceland or somewhere great. Can you tell us about how that happened? And you were going to go on a spring break or Christmas vacation somewhere. And she called you back before you left. And, and can you tell us what that experience was? Absolutely. So we were at Harvard. And one of the things that one does in, you know, particularly in business school is you meet all these amazing people from different backgrounds in different locations. And when you have a vacation or a break, you try to go travel. So I had signed up to go to Morocco and I was very excited to go to Morocco. Mm -hmm. And my business partner, Marcella, was planning on staying back in Boston and working on some ideas. And she said to me, you should really stay, stay in Boston, work on these ideas. And I kind of was like, Boston is very cold. (laughs) <laughs> it snows a lot in the winter and like Morocco is very cool and none of those things. Like why, why would I do that? Um, but Marcel is very persuasive and she, she sort of said, listen, like we can always travel, but there are very few times when we get to have dedicated time to work on the things that we might actually really want to spend a decade working on. Let's take advantage of it. So with about a week to go, I basically said, okay, I will forego my trip to Morocco. I will stay on campus. And we stayed with um, a handful of other colleagues of ours at school. 
And we spent a week and we worked on different ideas. We called it Startup Lockdown. And we said, we're going to do one idea per day. So on Monday, we're going to try idea X, Tuesday's idea Y. The idea for Alfred, we betaed on Wednesday. And we said, how can we get a website and some first customers and a proof of concept in less than 24 hours? And that's how we started. That's amazing that that happened. So your, your business partner seems like she should have been a lawyer because she's uh, very persuasive. Because I don't know if anyone could have gotten me to stay in Boston in cold weather. And I would have pretty much been, you know, I guess there was no Zoom back then, but Skyping in from, from Morocco, from Marrakesh seems a little bit better. But I'm glad you did it because now, now we had uh, Alfred. So you, you alluded to this and you said early on that um, rugby was a great preparation for being an entrepreneur. So can you walk us through some of the ups and downs of getting started from on a Wednesday, you came up with the idea, how long did it take to raise money? What was your first raise? Talk about the ups and downs in, in, in that process. So we came up with the idea on a Wednesday. We worked on it for one day and then we put it on the shelf and went back to school. <laughs> we then picked up the idea over the summer. We started hiring people and we basically hacked a tech platform together because we wanted to MVP it. We got a $5,000 grant from Harvard at the time to do this. And at the end of the summer, we actually had a semi-functioning business. We had a bunch of direct-to-consumer customers. We had some interns and some employees. And we had a plan for what we were going to execute. So Marcella and I actually decided not to go back to business school for that semester. And we just worked on our business. That was probably the first inflection point of like, we're really committed to this. Wow. We're going to leave. We're going to leave Harvard. We're going to go build this company. We raised the first set of capital while we were still students, and we had to figure out how to navigate that. From where? Who gave you like high net worth individuals, a school? Where do you get where do you get the money from? Spark Capital was our first seed investor, Bijan, who's an amazing. They're an amazing group. I highly recommend. Uh, we have amazing investors in general, but I highly recommend Spark. Uh, they were Boston based. Great name for a, like venture company. What a brilliant name, Spark. I love it. They're great. And we built the company for the first two years while we were while we were in Boston. We ultimately did get our degree. We just graduated oh. pretty late. The first couple of years of building a startup are a lot of fun. You get everyone in a room. You kind of figure out what you're building. There's lots of excitement. There's lots of momentum. And you are putting things together. And then invariably, without question, every startup is going to hit their first inflection point, which is like, okay. Does this product actually work? Do we have product market fit? What do we need to do? Or our customer's not who we thought it was. In our case, it was our customer's not who we mm -hmm. thought it was. We thought our customer was a direct, we thought it was a direct consumer business, mm -hmm. not a B2B business where we sold to landlords. So we you know, kind of changed our business model a little bit and started selling into real estate owners and operators. I would say our first big set of tests really came during COVID. That's when, as with many companies, it was an extremely, extremely hard time. I would have thought that that would have absolutely kick-started your business and crushed, made your business grow exponentially, no? So our business had two components to it. It had a technology part, which took off. It took off a ton of market share. But we also had a human component where we would have people go to people's homes and actually into their homes and provide help. And in the middle of the global health yeah. pandemic, we couldn't do that. So we had to change our business model entirely in the, middle, yeah. in the middle of the um, in the middle of the pandemic. So how many employees do you have like that when you think about that, sorry to interrupt, but 
if you have those people going to walk a dog or doing whatever they're doing, how many direct and indirect, I guess, cons- you know, part-time employees do you have on this operation now? At that time, um, we had about probably 200 people. Okay. I'd sort of say one of the lessons that I would share from the entrepreneurial journey is sometimes you have to make extremely hard decisions. And one of the hard decisions we had to make, which began during COVID and then occurred over the course of the next 12 to 24 months, is we actually shut that entire business line down. We changed our strategy entirely on how we deliver services. Um, And it was one of the hardest things that we did because it was actually the core of where we had started the business. So we shut that business line down. And we adapted our strategy and we focused very much on our technology platform. We knew that having a combination of people and technology was really important in this industry. So instead of having sort of a home services division, we said what we should actually have is a management company division because we can use technology and partner with the people on site in a similar but much more impactful and better way. So we went out and we bought a management company. And we did that about eight uh, in 2022. That sort of completed the change in our business model and allowed us to have a lot of impact across a lot of people in full properties, not just on the consumer side of the business. But turning the ship in the middle of a global health pandemic and the subsequent highs and lows of the financing markets, it was not an easy task. I think what you said is, is very important. I've invested in a lot of businesses and I've seen businesses fail and succeed. And I think there's an old saying like adapt or die. And, you know, you came up with this crazy situation where it's a global pandemic and lockdown, you can't leave your house. And had you not pivoted as sharply as you did, I don't think the business would be in place today. And yet you did and thrived. And so I think that's a very powerful business lesson. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. So you guys did something and pivoted very quickly and resurrected the business that could have been an epic failure. So that is what makes America great and successful. So hats off to you for uh, and your partner for having the courage to make such a dramatic shift in business. It's not easy to do. A lot of business founders have this tunnel vision. This is what we're going to do. And, and then something comes up and they don't, they stay in the tunnel and you didn't. So that's really exciting. So, so fantastic. Uh, what are your plans for expansion? What cities are you in now? And are you looking to new cities? Are you in Europe? Talk, talk about where you are and where you plan to be. So we provide, we provide our technology all, all over North America, but the core of the management platform is really in the Southeast. So we have great properties in Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, Miami, um, Atlanta, that portion of the, of the country. We are actively doing expansion. So we're heading, we're heading west we grow through a combination of just organic growth and M&A. So we have some exciting deals that I can't totally share right now, but we'll be closing hopefully imminently that will bring us Midwest and then West. Well, why not? I would think you'd be in New York and Chicago and Boston. I mean, big concentrations of apartment buildings. Why, you're not in those cities? We provide our technology in those cities, but when we went with the management platform, we followed the New York and the L.A., and the Chicago um, renter out of the primary cities into the second and tertiary cities because of the migration that was happening during COVID, where we saw a lot of building. And that was where we chose to start the the new platform. So we will absolutely end up having, um, you know, footprint in all of those places, but we, we followed the, we followed the customer. That's great. Okay. Uh, 
What are the couple of the things that you wished you knew going into this? I mean, you obviously had the aha moment where you had to pivot, but what do you know now that you wish you knew then and that would have made this entrepreneurship and founding a company an, an easier transition? What, what do you wish you knew? Well, first, you should definitely at some point go to Morocco. Like that must happen. (laughs) (laughs) But I think if there's one lesson that I've learned along the way, and it's really hard to know it until you do it, is number one, you cannot be scared of the hard decisions. The most important thing you can do as a founder or a leader in periods of time that are volatile, kind of like we're operating in now, is you have to learn how to manage your own psychology. And from my perspective, that means two things. You have to have a really honest relationship with reality. So you can't live in denial. You can't have that tunnel vision that you were describing. Yet at the same time, you have to have 100% confidence and conviction in your ability to deal with it. And you have to balance those two things with agility and ease. So I think that's something that's learned over time. I don't know that you can know that ahead of time. Although if I had known that ahead of time, I probably would have had a lot less anxiety and a lot less stress. (laughs) That's funny. How do you and your business partner split up the responsibilities? What do you do versus what does she do to make it more efficient? Marcella is one of the smartest, most systematic, one of the best product people I've ever met. And most persuasive, obviously. Kept you from Morocco. And persuasive. So she she really handles that sort of side of the business. I handle more of the operating side, um, some of the, the M&A work that we do and the integration work that we do. So we're, we're very complimentary and we've, we've done this for a, a long enough time that we know how to dance both parts with each other very well. That's great. And you live back in Brooklyn now or where, you, where do you live now? I'm still in Brooklyn. Okay, great. Great. Fantastic. So I read that you give a lot back to the community. Uh, can you give us what your passion projects are, what you're focused on in terms of your philanthropic endeavors? Being part of community is really important. Giving back to community is really important. We try to do it through both Alfred and then personally. I'll give you a sense of what we do through Alfred first. So we do something called Give Back Days, which means once a month, we give our team the time to go and participate in any sort of nonprofit or volunteer activity. So for example, in November, our team is going to support a nonprofit in the arts in Long Island City. We've done food banks. We sort of go with whatever you know motivates the team. Personally, I come from the special needs world. You know, I'm very yeah. invested and moved in you know all of the groups and initiatives that are part of that community. That's great. Okay, and then uh, now you know you've been involved with Three I for a little bit. Talk to us about what your involvement is and what your favorite part of being a Three I member is. I love the people, and I know that's the most cliche thing to say, <laughs> but given what Three I is and how the people in the network are the most important thing, I think that's the honest answer. And I'll tell you why. I think the 3i community is very genuinely engaged in helping each other and making connections and doing good and meaningful work together. So some of the people that I've met through 3i have been instrumental both for me personally, but also as, you know, as a leader and as a founder um, at Alfred. I've joined a lot of, or I sort of see a lot of networks, and I think a lot of it can be lip service. Three Eyes not. I really think it's a real, real testament to the people that are leading it and the community for how everyone really works together and supports each other. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been, I've been a member since it started, and I can tell you that I always felt like I, I networking was one of my core competencies, and I always felt like I had a good rolodex and a good network. And 
the three eye angle has really helped elevate that. And I've met so many great people. Uh, and now I have, I'm not only friends, I have very good friends that I speak with almost daily or at least a few times a week that I didn't know a year or two ago. And so that's always nice. Well, you know, Jess, I've, I've done these, I, I do a lot of these and I can tell you that this is one of my favorite ones. Uh, you know, your story is amazing and what happened at Harvard, your rugby's, your rugby playing at Williams and how you and your partner ended up building this company and really pivoting on a dime and re reengaging and, and re reinvigorating the company is just fantastic. And I love hearing success stories when good things happen to good people. And that's absolutely happening here. So I look forward to hearing the next chapter and the continued growth. And hopefully we'll see in Europe and all over the world. And, uh, you know, Alfred will be a, a household name. So thanks again for joining the uh, 3i Rosen Report podcast and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Eric.